You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, joined by my co-host, John McEwen. It's the 25th of July, 2023. And on this week's episode, we'll be discussing Ocado, Howden Joinery, Boku, AJ Bell, Volvo AB, and our US company of the week is Netflix. John, should I start us off with favourite of the show, Ocado? Yeah, what's what's it been doing this week? So it has come out with its half-year results. And half-year revenue rose 8.6% to $1.4 billion, reflecting growth in all business areas. The group generated cash profit EBITDA of $16.6 million, compared to a loss of $13.6 million at the same time last year. Ocado Retail saw revenue rise 5% to $1.2 billion, where higher prices offset a reduction in the number of items bought on average. There was also a modest increase in active customers. The division generated a $2.5 million loss, although margins improved in the second quarter. The group's third-party logistics business recorded revenue of $335.2 million, up 1.7%. Cash profits were broadly flat at $14.6 million, reflecting higher costs. Technology solutions revenue rose 58.9% to $198.2 million, reflecting a higher number of active customer fulfillment sites. Ocado's free cash outflow of $300 million widened, partly reflecting the timing of some payments and changes to seasonal stock levels. This is one of my issues. Although they can present positive EBITDA, because the amount of capex needed, it's just burning cash. The groups maintained its full year guidance, including marginally positive EBITDA from Mercado Retail and total group capex of five hundred fifty million. Capital expenditure in the first half was two hundred eighty three point five million, with the majority being spent on the construction of new customer fulfillment centres and investment in the Mercado Smart Platform product. I think the main thing of interest for me there was the Mercado Solutions business, which was the part that grew 58.9%. And that charges third-party retailers to use Ocado's robotic systems. And hundreds of thousands of orders are processed each week with the help of automated bots going around the trademarks grid systems. If you've not seen it, I would actually search it on YouTube because it's really interesting to watch. In terms of valuation, we don't have any earnings. We don't have any dividend. The forward price to sales is 1.63, and that compares to a 10-year average of 2.9. And the share price is £7.66, and I think it was as high as, I think it was pushing 25 quid 18 months or so ago, so it has fallen quite away. So the shares actually rose 7.5% on this announcement. I'm not entirely sure why. Expectations must have been quite low, but I think this is pretty poor. The number of items being bought on Ocado Retail is continuing to decline. 5% revenue growth for Ocado Retail is pathetic, given the amount it's valued at, even now after the after the drop it's had. I don't see any scenario where it doesn't continue to just burn through money and probably need to raise more equity at some point. I would be much more interested, and not that I'm interested at all, but I, I think it'd be interesting to see if they spun out the Ocado Solutions part of the business. Because I think that could actually be quite a valuable business. And that is where the money is. But I 
I don't see Ocado Retail ever really giving a return for investors, especially the poor M&S investors that own half of it. So, yeah, I, I think these results are pretty poor. I think it is just the technology solutions part at 58.9% growth that looks interesting. But if you have to buy the Ocado Retail with it, it's just not something I would ever want. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation? I think the results are a bit disappointing. Clearly, as you say, it's the the solutions and the technology that's behind it, which potentially holds, I suppose, the value and the future growth in the company. I think the shares, some of the reason why they performed so well in the last month, and they're up maybe 50% in the last couple of months, maybe 100%. But there were rumours that Amazon might be interested in acquiring Ocado. So that sent the share price soaring. Nothing has yet materialised and, you know, may never. And then there was also, I think, payout dispute or a payout made after a patent dispute. So that boosted things a little bit. But yeah, I think the the results that we see are, are quite disappointing and it's n- not really a company that I would look at but in interesting technology behind it as you say we move on to a much simpler business yeah so it's howden's joinery which is kitchens and joinery supplier they had their half year results out this week with group revenue up one and a half percent to 926.9 million pounds for the 24 weeks to the 11th of june which is 42 percent ahead of pre-pandemic levels uk revenue was 0.6 percent ahead of last year or 1.6 percent on an underlying basis after excluding £8.3 million of third-party sales following the acquisition of Sheridan's in 2022. International revenue was 33.6% ahead of last year, with continued strong growth in France. Gross profit was flat at £565 million, but operating profit fell by 21.5% to £117 million, as selling and distribution costs increased from £415.9 million to £448.4 million, which was predominantly as a result of the planned investment in new depots, reformats, range of optimization and distribution, and digital expansion, along with the higher labour and energy costs. The operating profit margin fell from 16.3% to 12.6%. But the group do stress that they've maintained an industry-leading gross margin of 61%, normalising from an exceptional level a year ago when they benefited from early implementation of price rises ahead of the inflationary cost increases. Operating costs before investments in the strategic initiatives were maintained at similar levels to the first half of 2022, with £23 million of efficiency actions helping offset cost inflation. The profit before tax was £111.9 million. They also comment on the robust balance sheet, which enabled them to continue to fund a further £32 million of investment in their ongoing strategic initiatives, which accounted for predominantly all the increase in the half-year operating cost increases. And that included uh, nine additional depots and 24 reformats in the UK, alongside further investment in manufacturing capabilities and capacity on their digital 
platforms and optimization of their recently completed network of 12 cross-docking hubs. They also comment about the strong cash generation with £137.8 million of shareholder returns completed in the period. It's comprised of a prior final dividend of £87.8 million and the £50 million buyback completed in the first half. They announced an interim dividend up 2.1% at 4.8 pence per share. And they also say that they are continuing the progress on sustainability with new targets submitted uh, to the Science-Based Targets Initiative and confirmed that their full-year expectations for 2023 remain unchanged. Andrew Livingston, the chief executive, said that Howden's performed well in the first half in a more challenging marketplace, making progress on the record year that we delivered in 2022. Our trade-only model, in-stock model, is hard to replicate and compete with, and we're continuing to invest in our strategic initiatives to drive growth. We're delivering value to our customers at all price points as we continue to gain market share, and we're all set up for further success in the second half. They say, despite the continued challenging macroeconomic backdrop, our builder customers remain busy with activity levels normalising from the exceptional levels of a year ago. And across the group, we are maintaining our focus on competitive pricing to support our customers whilst balancing inflationary pressures to optimise volumes. In terms of valuation, Howden's has a market cap around £4 billion and trades at 10 times earnings with a yield of approximately 3%. I mean, given the wider macroeconomic conditions, I think it was decent they managed to grow the revenue or be modestly however with the inflationary pressures you are seeing and albeit some of the investment that they put they point out you are seeing the operating margins being squeezed and the concern i would have is that i don't see that this huge growth potential in the stock and it's a business that is really cyclical I guess if you were more optimistic about the UK economy, then the shares are very cheap at 10 10 times earnings. But for me, I think it would sort of be going in, I know it's a retailer, but it would kind of be going, looking at those other cyclical stocks. I have my portfolio and we think about the house builders and I'd probably rather own one of those at similar depressed valuations than I would with Howden's. And for that reason, I probably wouldn't look any further. Sam, what are your thoughts on how does these numbers and its current valuation? Do you know what countries are in internationally besides France? It looks like it's France and the Republic of Ireland. I'm just seeing... I know profit before tax is taking a bit of an offer and stuff, but in terms of the revenue, it's, it's holding steady. I, I get what you're saying about how it is going to be basically a cyclical business and probably will move fairly in line with the house builders. But... I do think it's a very well-run business. The buyback, it's got the buybacks. But the international is interesting. So it's growing at 33% a year and it only makes 31 million out of 926 million total revenue. Yeah, so if, if they can grow that, like that could be quite significant. The only thing is if, when it's starting with such a small base, getting the growth is easy because you just open a few new stores. It's whether or not those stores are profitable. I don't think they've really given us the information to know that yet. How, however, the gross profit margin has dropped slightly, but it depends. If if you if you thought the international could do well, 
think it's pretty cheap and you're not going to get that with a house builder in terms of like you know red row aren't going to be expanding internationally no no you've got potentially higher growth but it's off such a tiny base it it really is is hard to judge and as well you see we see it with for example um like kingfisher they've got quite a lot of overseas branches they do pretty well, but you know, they're pretty saturated markets. It's not like there's no one in France selling kitchens. It is tough to go over there and do it profitably. Yeah, but I do like the business. I think it's pretty reasonably priced. Uh, I think it used to be quite a bit more expensive, actually. Yeah, I, I do like the business. And I think it, if you think the international growth can continue, it's probably pretty reasonably priced. Fair enough. One for your watch list. Probably not good enough for the watch list, but I do like it. Okay, fine. Is Boku? That's a tricky one, actually. So, covering Boku this week, it's listed on the AIM 100. So, we were having a chat off air last week, and there's more about sort of the number of decent-sized companies that are now listed on the AIM. I mean, for example, this one's got a market cap of 400 million. So, I know it's not huge, but it's also not tiny. And... Well, we thought we may as well actually start going through and looking at some of these companies because there will be some decent businesses in there that we've just never looked at. And I know we do the odd AIM company anyway, but we're probably going to start on the quieter weeks trying to do more AIM 100 companies. So this could be the first of a 100-part series. So Boku, they provide global payment, mobile payment network through its mobile-first platform. The principal activity is a provision of digital payments, including mobile wallets, real-time payment schemes, and direct carrier billing for global merchants these solutions enable merchants to acquire new customers and accept online payments from billions of consumers who prefer to pay without credit cards they've said on their website more people pay today with a local payment method than with a visa or mastercard boku's payment network has the world's largest selection of local payment methods reaching over 7 billion consumer payment accounts in more than 90 countries worldwide so basically if you use some kind of local payment method their technology allows, basically allow, allows you to pay with it and allows the payment platforms to actually accept it. That was my understanding of it. It's a US business, or it's based in the US, but it's listed on the FTSE, which for a technology business I found a bit unusual, but there you go. They have come out with a trading statement for the first half. They've said revenues for the half year ended 30 June 2023 are expected to be at least $37.5 million, and all these figures will be in dollars, up 24%. On a constant currency basis, revenues are expected to be approximately 31% higher than the first half of 2022. The majority of revenue growth in the first half is from new local payment methods, including e-wallets and account-to-account payments, which grew 359% to approximately $7.2 million up from 1.6 million last year. Interested EBITDA is expected to be 25% higher at approximately 12 million, despite continued investment in Boku's mobile-first payment network. Total group cash of at least 114 million is up from 67 million a year ago. And they've said of this, approximately 52 million is Boku's own cash, with the balance being merchant cash in transit. The group is debt-free. On The average daily cash balance was 106 million. They had 61.2 million monthly active users of the Boku platform in June 2023, and that was a 32% increase. 32.7 million new consumers made their first payment or bundling with Boku during the first half of the year. 
and that was up from 29.3 billion a year ago. Total payment volume was 5 billion, and that was up 15%. Continued strong growth in the new local payment methods. Monthly active users of e-wallets and real-time payments increased 122% to over 4.7 billion in June 2023. New users of LPMs increased by 97%. So that's local payment methods to 6.3 million. Take rate increased marginally to 0.76% due to the higher take rate from LPMs. Mobile first payments network expanded to reach over 7.5 billion end user accounts, 46% of which are non direct carrier billing. There were a total of nearly 50 new launches in the first half with existing and new merchants, including Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Sony, Spotify, Sky, and Tencent. Launches took place in 18 countries across Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. Two thirds were for local payment methods. As announced separately, John Perdue is to retire as CEO on 31 December. He will remain on the board as non-exec director. Stuart Neal, former CFO, has rejoined as CEO designate and will take over on 1 Jan 2024. So in terms of the annual figures, we go back to 2018, revenue was 35 million. And then the growth has been 50 million, 56, 62, 63. I assume it had a bit of a slowdown during the pandemic because it now seems to have ramped up again to about 25% a year. It swung from an operating loss in 2018, 2019, and 2020 to a 10 million profit in 21 and 4 million in 2022. Did have a little bit of interest in previous years, but that's going to be gone now because it's debt free. In terms of the valuation, it trades at a P ratio of 122. That is on reduced earnings, I think, because I suspect they've been plowing it back into like sales and marketing and stuff like that, kind of with like the US tech stocks that we see sometimes. So you are getting artificially reduced earnings. If you were to use the 2021 figures, which maybe had lower sales and marketing because they were still coming out of the pandemic, so it was a bit more conservative. If you were to take those earnings, it would give you P of 45 instead. The market cap, however, is only 400 million. And that 45x 2021 earnings, that doesn't include the fact that the business is going to be significantly bigger in terms of revenue. And I suspect it's going to be like a lot of the US companies we used to cover where they could flip a switch at any point if they wanted and stop plowing it all into sales and marketing. I think at a 400 million pound market cap, I think it does look interesting. My biggest issue is I don't really feel like I understand well enough where the business sits in the payment space. I've never knowingly used the product, but I I think it does look like an interesting business. It's putting up numbers that I think you would more expect to see in a US tech business. I know that is basically what it is. It just happens to be listed in the UK. Yeah, an interesting business. I would probably look at it again, but... Even if I had a better understanding, I'm not sure I'd want to pay 122 times earnings or 45 times last year's earnings. John, what are your thoughts on the business and the valuation? Again, similar. First time covering it. And I would need to dig into it a lot more and have a much deeper understanding of it. Of course, it is very expensive. And, you know, at first glance, you get a shock. But... I guess it's that it is that sort of company that could, you know, has the huge, huge potential for growth, but not understanding it does limit, you know, well, just for me, I I wouldn't invest in something I didn't understand. So, yeah, I think also very interesting that it's listed in the UK, because as you say, most of these tech companies 
well, avoid a UK listing and are, are listed in the States. So, yeah, I think one to definitely come back to and probably to try and understand better. And I guess also how much of a moat it has. There are such big players in this market. It's, well, it, it is a minnow. So it's really, you know, exploring that further too. But I guess that comes with, you know, a deeper understanding of the business. I think that's a good point, though, where it sits, because is this a product or is it a feature? Yeah. Could, yeah. I, I, and I, I, this is speaking from the point of view of someone who spent 20 minutes looking at this, but <laughs> you know, if PayPal or Apple Pay or Google start incorporating its products into their own software, yeah. as in like they just do it in-house, what will people be paying Boku for? And then yeah. what else does it do? Because it, it does seem like the sort of thing they could maybe do on their own. Yeah. So that, that would be a big concern. And when when you're paying that much for it, if that happens, that is a disaster. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Whereas I think as well, if you compare that to something like, we've covered PayPal recently, it's pretty depressed valuation. Google and Apple Pay are increasing their market share, and that's a massive factor why, but it is reflected in the price. Whereas with this, yeah. it isn't. Yeah, so it's, it, it you know potentially has a huge way to fall. Yeah, but an interesting business nonetheless. Absolutely. Okay. We move on to another UK listed tech business. Yeah, well, following on from Hargreaves Lansdowne last week, we have, I suppose it's little brother, AJ Bell. Maybe that's a little bit unfair. It's got about a, a billion pound market cap. But anyway, they had a trading statement out for Q1 for the three months ended 30th of June, with the platform business seeing customer numbers increase by 10,606 in the quarter, close at 465 614, which is a 12% increase on in the last year and 2% increase in this quarter. Total advised customers came in at 156,368, up 10% over the last year and 2% in the last quarter. The total direct consumer customers came in at 309,246, up 12% over the last year and 3% in the quarter. Meanwhile, the assets under an administration closed at 69.8 billion, which is up 10% over the last year and 2% in the quarter. And they commented that there was a resilience in their asset un- assets under management flows across the platform, which once again demonstrated the strength of the dual channel model with momentum particularly strong for the direct consumer platform post tax year end. Gross inflows for the quarter came in at 2.4 billion pounds down from the 2.6 billion pounds last year. And net inflows for the quarter were 1.1 billion down from 1.6 billion. And market movements were negligible in the quarter. In AJ Bell Investments, assets under management increased to 4.3 billion pounds, up 72% over the last year and up 10% in the quarter. And net inflows in the quarter were around four hundred million pounds, and that was up a third on the prior year. Michael Summersgill, the chief executive at AJ Bell, commented that continued growth in the customer numbers and net inflows of over a billion pounds onto our platform in the quarter once again demonstrated the strength of our dual channel platform model and assets under administration on our platform now stand at a record high of sixty nine point eight billion pounds. 
Our investments business again grew strongly with assets under management increasing by another 10% in the quarter to reach £4.3 billion in a market where many asset managers are suffering persistent net outflows. The strong performance and low cost nature of our multi-asset solutions continues to attract new assets in both the advised and direct consumer markets with net inflows in the quarter of £400 million. In the advised market, there's been a moderation in transfer activity as advisors and their clients exercise more caution in the face of ongoing uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment. Despite that, we attract 400 million of net inflows to our advised platform during the quarter and added almost 3,000 new customers. Momentum in the direct consumer market remains strong after the tax year end as customers took advantage of their new annual ISA pension allowances. Our open architecture platform ensures that customers have a flexibility to choose from a broad range of investment options, depending on the market conditions. Sharp rise in interest rates has stimulated strong demand for short-dated government bonds and money market funds, with eight out of the 20 most popular investment choices by traded value in the quarter falling into these categories. More broadly, we are well prepared for the implementation of the new consumer duty coming into force at the end of this month. We believe this will be positive for consumers with an increased focus on value for money and ensuring good customer outcomes set to improve standards within the market. It's important that there is no delay beyond the next year in duty applying to legacy pension schemes, particularly given that FCA has recently stated that savers and older schemes may be at greater risk of poor value for money. We continue to see significant opportunities for growth in the platform market and believe we are well positioned to capitalise on these in both advised and the direct consumer segments. Coming to the valuation then, AJ Bell has a market cap of £1.3 billion and trades at 22 times earnings with a yield of about 2.5%. I thought these were decent results in the current climate and very positive that their numbers continue to grow strongly. And it was especially good performance from their advisory investments business. But my view would be similar to that of Hargreaves Lansdowne, though, that particularly in the platform business, it is, all, it's kind of a race to the bottom and is that sort of commoditization argument to be made. And I think that would be the main reason I would stay away from AJ Bell, just like Hargreaves Lansdowne. It's also a fair bit more expensive than Hargreaves Lansdowne. And the question I'd ask you, Sam, is as a Hargreaves shareholder, would you pay more for AJ Bell with arguably that greater potential for growth? Or do you think it's sort of overpriced in comparison? These results are all right. Look at it's from a much, much smaller base. Customer number's four hundred and sixty five thousand. We did Hargreaves last week, it was at one point eight million. Growth slower, but it's not like the AJ Bell growth in terms of customer numbers is absolutely bombing away. The 70% growth in the AJ Bell investments is very good, but it's off a very low base. And it's it's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's good that they've done it, but it's existing customers that are, that are using it. They're not pulling, they're not really pulling new customers in, I don't think, based on the change in customer numbers. And I'm not particularly happy with how Hargreaves have done in the time I've owned the shares. I wouldn't say AJ Bell are doing much better in terms of the numbers they're putting up. But when you look at the difference in price, it's basically trading at twice the value of Hargreaves. And I just don't think the numbers justify it. So although I'm not the happiest Hargreaves Lansdowne shareholder in the world, 
I wouldn't sell it to buy AJ Bell because I just think if I'm going to buy such a distant second place, the numbers need to be a lot better because they'll hardly be taking any market share of Hargreaves Lansdowne when they're growing some numbers by 12% a year. It's just not enough to make a bite. So, yeah, that's where I am with it. Fair enough. Fairly conclusive answer there. Somewhat happy. Happy is a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to... Is it Swedish business? It is listed in Sweden, yes. Take us away, Sam. So... Take it away. Yeah, Volvo AB. So for anyone who aren't familiar with Volvo AB, which includes me so i picked it thinking it would be volvo but it's actually the yes it's the parent company of the volvo group and it's a manufacturer of trucks buses construction equipment diesel engines and marine and industrial engines they also provide solutions for financing and service in addition to vehicles and machines, its offering includes a range of services such as insurance, rental services, spare parts, preventative maintenance, service agreements, <laughs> assistance services, and information technology services. So it looks like it doesn't actually include the Volvo cars, which is what I thought when I picked it. So this is a, a bit of a surprise, but it seems to be everything else, and it seems to mainly be focused on the, the more commercial vehicles. So... They have come out with their half-year results. And as mentioned, this business is listed in Sweden. And they are, I don't know what it's actually, it's a Swedish kroner, I think. But their currency is the SEC. And one SEC is worth 7.5p. So do remember that because all these figures will be in SEC. So their net sales rose 11% to 140.8 billion. Net sales from the group's different vehicles rose to 109.3 billion, up from 92.2 billion. Net sales from services were up almost 5 billion to 31.5 billion. Volvo said larger truck fleets are continuing to upgrade their vehicles, but smaller fleets have become more cautious because of lower used truck and lower freight volumes. Total order intake fell 10% in the quarter. Strong pricing and a favourable mix of products sold contributed to an increase in underlying operating margins from 116 to 15.4%, despite ongoing cost inflation. Underlying operating profit rose 58.1% to $21.7 billion. Volvo had net financial debt of $30.4 billion at the end of the period, up around $8 billion. That's not really concerning at all on underlying operating profit of $21 billion. So services currently make up a small part of overall revenues, 31.5 billion out of 140 in total. And they're hoping to get this to 50% by 2030. And they're also a leader in the electrification of heavy duty vehicles, including trucks and buses. And they want over 35% of of their vehicle sales to be electric by 2030. And there's been a 10% drop in truck orders. To suspect if you don't need a new truck, you just let the fleet get a little bit older. If things are a little bit more tough economically. So the business trades at a forward PE ratio of 10.4 and that compares to a 10-year average of 13.1. And the respective dividend yield for the next 12 months is 5.9%. I think this looks like quite an interesting business. It's not what I expected. You've not expected the cars. <laughs> but I think they're Chinese-owned. Interesting business. It's a good yield, 
but my and it's not that expensive but my concern is if they wanting to get to 30 35 percent sales electric they need to invest a lot of money into doing that because they will be set up for internal combustion engines and i suspect a lot of it's very very different so i think a lot of capital is going to be needed the debt's not really that concerning it's paying a good dividend yield but i don't know where the growth is either because i think even if they get to that you know, even if they hit their electric targets, it's just going to cannibalize their existing sales. There's not really any new customers. I think people are just switching from one to the other. And yes, it's good to cannibalize your own products if it stops someone else doing it. But I just don't see where the growth really comes from with this business. And yeah, John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? Yeah, I didn't think these results were too bad, but I would worry about the future of the business and how much capital expenditure is going to be required it's highly competitive. I, I wouldn't necessarily back Volvo to be the company that does that or, or, or succeeds in that. So it would be one I'd, I'd stay well clear of. Right. Shall we move on to Netflix? Yes. So our US company of the week, which we have covered a few times on the show, needs little introduction. It's the streaming giant, and they had their half-year results out with second quarter revenue coming in at $8.2 billion, which was in line with guidance. And interestingly, the group added 5.89 million new net subscribers, higher than previously thought, reflecting the impact of the well, stopping the password sharing in its core markets. And accordingly, operating profit rose 15.8% to $1.8 billion, which was also in line with expectations. Netflix said that they were going to cancel their cheapest ad-free version amid its introduction of different price tiers. Also, they mentioned that the average revenue per membership, ARM, fell by 1%, ignoring the effect of exchange rates. And this partly reflected a lack of price increases over the quarter. The group had net debt of $13.2 billion as of the end of June, which includes amounts owed for content creation. There was free cash, free cash flow of $1.3 billion dollars. And looking ahead, Netflix expects revenue growth of around 7% to $8.5 billion in the third quarter and flat to slightly negative ARM. Shares, well, the market was disappointed and the shares fell 6.7% in the pre-market trading. In terms of valuation, Netflix has a massive market cap of $190 billion and trades at 37 times forward earnings, which is actually considerably cheaper than its 10-year average of over 100. I've never been keen on Netflix and do prefer rivals like Disney, which have well incredible IP, a very good streaming service, and also they're diversified with a parks business too. Something that is very positive, I think, from this statement is that when they cracked down on the password sharing, I think a lot of people weren't sure how many customers they were going to lose and whether, you know, by cracking down on it, they were actually just going, they were just going to drop off altogether. But actually, it looks in the numbers like they have stayed on and created new accounts, which from a Netflix point of view is fantastic. They do still have the ongoing issues that they're always going to have with 
its expensive production costs and they're spending over 17 billion dollars a year on it and also you wonder in the current environment how much they're going to be able to crank up those subscription prices so it's still not a company that i love but i think actually overall the statement was pretty or this um sorry this these half year results were pretty pretty good as someone who's quite critical of netflix Sam, what are your thoughts on these half-year figures and Netflix as a business? I think it's a very, very good half-year. I think they've done fantastic. They had had a bit of a wobble and they were starting to lose the customers and they completely turned that around. I also think the debt doesn't look that bad. Net debt, $13.2 billion, But if they've got operating profits of $1.8 billion a quarter... It's not actually that high. It's, it's less than 2x the operating profits. However, although I think they've done fantastic in this quarter, I just think with the password sharing crackdown, that is a one-trick pony. They can't do that again. So you're not going to see those kinds of subscriber growth being maintained. I think it's pretty saturated. They might still carry on growing a little bit every year, but I don't think they're going to grow over 10% because you, you just get to the point. I think the law of larger numbers has now started to hit them. And although I think they've done really, really well, I just think with the valuation at 37 times earnings, it it can't be growing 10% a year to justify that valuation. And it's not Netflix's fault, the value it trades at, but unless operating profits are going to be wildly higher, I don't see how the valuation is justified because I don't think there's going to be loads and loads more growth. I think it's going to grow at a decent rate, but, you know, I think they do well to grow at 10% a year going forward. So then where does the operating profit come from? So, yeah, I just, I think this is a really, really good quarter, but to justify the share price, they need to keep pumping these kind of quarters out, which I just don't see how they're going to do. Yeah. What do you think about valuation? Well, I just don't see how you justify it. I know it's cheap compared <laughs> okay. to historical levels, but historically... It's had so much more growth ahead of it. And I just don't know if we're at that point. But if you buy it now and it grows 20% a year for the next 20 years, then yeah, you're going to look pretty clever. But it was an easier bet 10 years ago, I think. And although the price to earnings ratio has come down, 37 is not cheap. And for the kind of numbers it's putting up, I just think once you get above probably the low 20s, it's a pretty pricey business, I think. So 37 is just, it's just too much, I think. Well then, Sam, of the companies this week, what's your favourite and what's what's your least favourite? A bit of a tough one this week, and I don't think I'd actually seriously consider buying any of these businesses. I don't think there's any that I'd seriously consider adding to my watch list. There's possibly Boku if we had another look, but even then I think the price would put me off. Plus the issue of whether it's a feature or a product. I would probably go with Howden Joinery. I think that's <laughs> probably the best business in there. In terms of my least favourite, it would probably be Ocado. I think the solutions looks interesting, but I think the retail is just and will continue to be a money incinerator. What about you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I'd probably be the same. Howden's would be my first choice, even though it's not my favourite business. And then, yeah, Ocado. I suppose one of the things, and I wouldn't be buying a stock for this reason, but is it a takeover target? There have been rumours around, but that that's you know pure speculation. So yeah, it'd probably be a card over my last choice. 
Yeah. Right. I think that's everything in that case. Well, thank you again for listening, and we will see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.